Well, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to jump into Matthew chapter 6, continuing the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would continue to teach us and direct us, that we would be guided to understanding the difference between material value and real value, that we would see things the way that you see them, and that you would guide us and direct us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. I can't help it, guys. I've got to roll my sleeves up. It is so hot up here. Well, in Matthew chapter 6, the Lord is going to talk about more secular issues. You know, in the last few chapters, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, He's been talking about the dangers of religiosity. He's been talking about the dangers of fake religion, about doing things for outward appearance and for making and manufacturing our own righteousness. But now, as we go into money matters, as we talk about money, He's going to talk about more secular measurements for the value of a person. And I think this is really important because when we say the word money, what does that mean to you? A lot of people react differently. Some get excited, some cringe, some get emotional, some don't even have no reaction at all. I don't really care. But all of us have some kind of relationship to money and material things. But what does God think about it? And how does God judge us? And how does God want us to deal with money? Now, some of us have preconceived notions. Some of us think that to be a really holy purpose, purpose, person, to be a real holy person, you have to be poor. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. It does say that it's more difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but it doesn't say it's impossible, at least not with the Lord. Does that mean that rich people are evil? No, it doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture. God made all material things. All things were made by Him. And so as we continue in the Sermon on the Mount, nothing is changing. He's talking about the human heart. He's talking about what matters most and what is real and what is not. And so with that introduction, we're going to continue now the Sermon on the Mount in verse 19, reading to verse 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Three distinct sections in this small portion of Scripture. And again, we've been talking about the dangers of religiosity, but now this is a secular standard. Most people, especially in America, we judge each other based on how rich, how wealthy, how powerful, how prosperous they are. What makes a person doing well and doing not so well? We judge each other based on material things, but God does not. Now, I have been quoting Michael P. Green like every single sermon in Matthew. He's a new commentary to me. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm not going to break that streak today because this is what he said. He said, the worldliness that we are called to avoid can take a religious 
or a secular form. And so we differ from those who are not Christians, both in our devotional life, which Jesus has dealt with in the first half of the chapter, and also in our ambitions. These are disclosed principally in two ways. What do we really value and what do we worry about? Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But what is treasure? You know, what is money? What is value? You know, especially right now, one of the current topics is inflation, that money's not worth what it used to be worth. The question is, what is it worth at all? What is this stuff? And you'll hear people say, it's not worth the paper is written on or printed on. Well, that's true. We give arbitrary value to things, whether it's material or it's financial, which is just another material, to what is rich and what is poor and what is success and what is not success. But Jesus, he just bypasses all those things because he reminds us that everything material can disappear in an instant. It could be destroyed by time. It can be destroyed by thieves. It can be destroyed by anything. In fact, if you live in the Bluffton area or anywhere in this area of South Carolina and you left your doors unlocked at night, someone's rubbish through your stuff. I guarantee it. Because thieves break in and steal. And so even when we're trying to accumulate this so-called value, we realize that it's not really there. It can be gone. In fact, having a life that is dedicated to accumulating material things is the same as someone who is addicted to alcohol or drugs. What do I mean by that? You see, how much alcohol is enough until you can look in the mirror and say, I made it. I attained. I feel good. I got it. Well, the answer is, it's never enough. How much marijuana can you smoke? And then you look at yourself and say, I'm happy now. I am full of joy. And the same thing is true of financial material things. How much money can you make to say, that's it, I'm done, I'm content. It is like drinking seawater. It just makes you more thirsty. And ultimately, it will kill you. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But he's not saying you have to be poor. But he's saying, what is consuming you? What is taking over. You know, let's ask somebody that's been there. Solomon was the richest, wisest man who ever lived. His wealth was beyond compare even to today's trillionaires, the 1% of the one percenters. And he said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. After he says that, he says something that in the English kind of seems like it's out of context, right? He says that your eye is the window to your soul. And it seems like, oh, yeah, we need to have, like, parental controls on our television and watch what we watch. That's true. The Bible tells us that in Philippians, that we should meditate on whatever things are true and perfect and lovely. But that's not the context here. This is not out of context. In fact, when he's speaking of the eye being single or being bad, the Greek words there for single means generous, open-hearted, warm, and bad means miserly. And so these are financial Greek terms, and so it is proper in its context. He's saying, you know, you get yourself 
a nice new car that you've been trying to work really hard for. And you're driving that thing down the road, and you feel great. Man, I've got it. And then all of a sudden, you see another car going down the road, and you're like, man, that's a nice car too. It would be nice if I had two cars. And so you're already consumed with something that you desire. You already want more. It is never enough. And I'll go back to the previous question. How much is is enough? How much is value? What makes something valuable? Who is rich? What does it mean to be rich? But I also want to be crystal clear. Rich people are not bad. Poor people are not good. And vice versa. See, what makes one person poor and another person rich is a matter of our own perception. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But we want to be crystal clear. It is not wrong for us to possess things. It is wrong for things to possess us. That is what Jesus is saying. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus was as poor as you could possibly be. He owned no property, had no cars, he had no phones, he had no technology. He had no extra clothes. He had no backpack. The average homeless person going down the street with a grocery cart full of their possessions has more possessions than Jesus had. And yet he lived a life that was richer than any one of us. See, I want us to understand as Christians when we leave this sermon that Jesus is not only the way of salvation, which he is, and he is not just the creator, which he is. We want a relationship with our Creator. We've talked about that. But He is also, He is also our perfect exemplar. Exemplar is a fancy way of saying perfect example of how we can live a deeper, more pers- purposeful life, and He gives us practical steps for everyday living. And that's what He's going to show us. But He tells us here, you cannot serve Him and Mammon. Now, why use this word mammon? Why not just say money? And some translations do say money. The word mammon is a name for the Carthaginian god of wealth. That's false god, doesn't exist. And so Jesus is saying you can't serve him and wealth. But I'm telling you, it's not bad to be wealthy. So you're looking at me like, well, how can you do both? Well, we're going to talk about that in a little bit. In fact, let's go ahead and read verses 25 through 29 together. It says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And so we see what Mr. Green was talking about, right? The attachment of money to worry. Now, we worry about it because we're trying to get it, we're trying to keep it, we're trying to protect it, trying to gain it some more. 
I mean, you get the thing and then the tax man comes around to rob you. I don't know how to help you with the tax man. He's trying to rob me too. You try and, and get it, then you make a mistake, then you owe everybody and you're trying to get more to give it to them, but you just want to keep some yourself and then you're just sitting there with all that pressure on you. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. And you're like, what do you mean don't worry about it? This is money we're talking about. But how much money is enough before you stop worrying about it? I'm going to tell you something that's very important as a Christian. When you're sitting at the dining room table or laying it out on your carpet or you're in your bed or you're in your car or wherever and you've got all your bills laid in front of you, whatever that pressure is and that anxiety and all that worry, you put that there. Because number one, nobody in the world cares about your bills. Nobody. Why? They're worried about their bills. And so nobody cares about all that pressure you're putting yourself under. And I want to tell you another secret. Because in this building right now, there are CEOs that are managing businesses and owners, and you're trying to make payroll, you're trying to pay the lease, you're trying to pay rent, trying to keep your vendors off your back, and you're balancing all this, and you've got money in the bank. It's very stressful. And you've got others here that are managing their retirement, they're managing their investments, they're looking at their interest rates, they're looking at inflation, and it's stressful. And it's just as stressful for the person here that has tons of debt, is trying to declare bankruptcy, just trying to make it another day, and has nothing. It's stressful. And again, it's stressful for a person here that's on a fixed income, watching the price of milk go up every day, and noticing they're $100 behind every week, living paycheck to paycheck. Every single one of the people I just described is under a tremendous amount of worry and stress and difficulty. But I said earlier, what is enough money? Who has enough? If you make $56,000 a year in the United States of America, you are in the top 10% wealthiest people in the planet when you're compared to the rest of the world. And you're worried that you're poor. Well, compared to what standard? See, we put the pressure on ourselves. We put the ruler that says, they're rich, I'm poor. When someone else looks at you and says, what are you complaining about? Look at what you got. We put it there. And Jesus says, stop it. Stop it. See, isn't life more than your food and your clothing? Isn't life deeper than that? Isn't it more important to that? You see, Jesus is our exemplar. He teaches us how to live this life of purpose. And he had nothing. And Paul would tell us from what I would consider a more relatable, because how do we relate to Jesus? He's Jesus. Well, Paul the Apostle says in Philippians chapter 4, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Abased means I'm so poor, I'm so, I'm so lacking that I'm actually being hurt. And I know how to abound. I know how to be wealthy and to be rich. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then you will finally understand the next verse in its context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the love of Christ, it doesn't disappear. We have grace. We have unmerited favor. We have a personal relationship with God. 
And because of this, we have peace with God. We can have something called contentment, joy. That whether you have nothing or you have a lot, you can just enjoy the peace of God. That you exist and you have a purpose. Now, I'm going to tell a personal story because those are the only stories I got. And as I was growing up, my family, my mom's side, all immigrants, they came to the United States with nothing. My mom started over with nothing, and then they worked their way up, and you know, I would consider them successful because, remember, those are arbitrary words that we make up. But I remember working every summer with my grandfather landscaping, you know, gardening. We call it landscaper because it sounds cooler. And so we'd be at a customer's house, and, and they were usually you know, higher-end customers, and we're there in Oregon, and he got this nice, what I would consider a palace at that time until I moved to Hilton Head. They got a nice house on the water, on, the, on a river, and they got their own personal pond in the front. And we're just mowing lawns, cleaning hedges, picking weeds, you know, hard work. And it's coffee break or lunchtime. We got our igloo lunchboxes. We're sitting there on the lunchboxes, and we're eating our ham and cheese sandwich, drinking our powdered sweet tea. And this would happen a lot. And over and over again, this lesson would be taught to me. As we sat there, he would say, you see this property? You see the water? You see the sun? You feel the satisfaction of working hard, the sweat off your brow? Enjoy the simplicity of this moment. Just be here and be grateful. How great is this? And I will have that lesson with me for my whole life. Nothing else really mattered in that moment. He just taught me the importance of, number one, hard work. But, but number two, how to enjoy the simple things. See, it didn't matter if I had steak or lobster. It didn't matter that wasn't my house. It didn't matter I didn't have the car in the garage and I didn't have a diploma from, from some school. I was able to sit there and enjoy that moment in its completion. And that wasn't even a spiritual lesson. It was a secular one. But we see biblically, it is true. And we have the same thing, even more so, because we sit with God, our Creator. And it doesn't matter how much money you owe or how much money you have. Isn't life more than food? You could have no food in the igloo. You could have nothing for lunch. You could have a bad view of a brick wall, of a car lot. But you can sit and be content because your relationship with your God, your Creator, is made whole through Jesus. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul's speaking to young Timothy, and he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content, enjoying the simplicity of what God has given you. Now, I don't care if you've got a million dollars, $10 million in the bank, $100 million in the bank. I don't care if you have a million dollars in debt. I don't care if you had bankruptcy 12 times. Some of you are going to sit at that table and you're going to have that mountain of debt and that pressure is going to come down on you. Some of you are going to have that payroll coming up every week, biweekly, and that pressure is going to be on you. And you're going to fight or you're going to argue with your spouse or you're going to cry or you're going to be depressed and you're going to have all that anxiety over what? Nobody cares. Well, eventually, if you're weird like me and you walk through a cemetery and you start thinking about their lives, there's no amount of money on any of those tombstones. Have you ever seen any? This one left a million dollars in debt. 
This one left with a super fancy house. You can't take any of it with you, and nobody cares. It's two dates and a dash, maybe a funny saying at best. So what does it matter? Well, apparently it matters a lot to us. There's some, some studies. Finra.org on April 28, 2021 has an article that says that they looked at survey answers from 19,000 adults in the United States and analyzed evidence collected during the focus groups. And this is what they found out. 60% of responders indicated feeling anxious when thinking about their personal finances, while 50% of responders indicated feeling stressed even when discussing their finances. 65% of women and 54% of men felt anxious, depressed, or pressure and anxiety from the lack of assets, insufficient income, high debt, money management challenges, and low financial literacy. According to Forbes, in 2023, 38% of divorces were caused primarily because of financial stress. And even worse, the American Journal of Epidemiology, well, I need to go to school just to read that. According to their study, people who were under financial strain had a 20-fold higher risk of attempting suicide than those that did not. But I want you to notice something about all these studies. There is no amount it doesn't say if it's $100 or $100 million. Because we put those standards. We make the pressure. We say in our minds, that person's rich. I am not. I have nothing. They have everything. It's stacked against me. The world's against me. And all of that is make-believe. Jesus says, be anxious for nothing. Isn't your life worth more than this? Remember what it said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But what does contentment even mean? It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it is not related to circumstance. It is not related to circumstance. Listen, I'm in business. I love it. To me, it's a game. I'm just playing a game. It's the same to me as if it were Monopoly money. Well, I shouldn't say that around my wife because I'm a nightmare around Monopoly. <laughs> but it is like any other game. All the pieces are made up, all the paper is made up, it all goes back to somebody and you can't take it with you. But that being said, being in business, every day we are putting a value on people. This person is worth this much an hour. This person is worth this much salary and this is this person's bonus. And someone's trade or their experience or their production gives them an economic value in the market system. And that's good. It's up for negotiation, and you can win that negotiation. You can make more money. You can do different things. You can increase your value. But that's economic. See, the Bible tells us that even though we may have economic value, every person, every soul is priceless. See, every human being's soul is uniquely created by God for a unique purpose. And that has no value. It is so valuable that God gave His only begotten Son for every human being that calls upon His name to be saved. And so we may argue in a debate to hire someone or not hire them or fire them or lay them off, but I want it to be crystal clear in the eyes of God, you are priceless. 
and you are perfect. Because when he sees you, he sees his son, and you are reconciled to God. No matter how good or how bad you are at this game, it is irrelevant. And you can have contentment, peace with God. And it's given to you by grace. In fact, let's read verses 30 through 34. It says, Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We talked about contentment, peace with God. I talked about it being free. It's free, but it's not cheap. It was paid for by God Himself. And so let's start to look at value. He's saying earlier, can one of you even increase your height by worrying? What can worry and anxiety and stress, what can it give you? Nothing but health problems. It doesn't make you richer or poorer. It doesn't make you more productive. It doesn't make you happier. And on top of that, I already ticked you all off when I told you it's your fault. You make it. And it, let's talk about material things. What can it cannot do? It can't buy you any time. It can't buy you contentment. It can't buy you peace. It can't go with you. We already talked about that. So does that mean it's just better to be poor? Does that mean that we should just all sell everything, go live in the mountains, and just have peace with God? No. No. In fact, God doesn't tell you to be rich or to be poor. He doesn't care. I told you I like this business game. I play it to win. I have a good time. But if I lose everything, I'm still going to sleep good at night, and I'm just going to come back tomorrow. You have the NBA. They have a championship every year. Somebody comes in second. They're ticked. Man, you made it all the way to second place. They're ticked. They didn't get first. But then the next year comes around, and what's their record? Zero and zero. Just play the game again. They start all over again, and they have a completely different season. But what about us? What does it even mean to be rich? According to world standards, all of us are in the top 10%. You should all be ashamed of yourself, wealthy people. No, that's not what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it speaks specifically to the rich people of that day, and it says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Don't be prideful nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. This is super, super important. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Enjoy it. Enjoy what God has given you and give it out when you can. When the Lord leads. Love it loosely. Remember, don't let these material things own you. Be anxious for nothing. Don't have the stress. Don't put the pressure on yourself. Now, he's not done yet. He says in verse 18, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Don't let material things, don't let anxiety and pressure, financial pressure, 
Don't let either one of them own you. Don't let the lack of it or the abundance of it own you. Your value is unique and distinct from finances or from perception. You are a creation of God, a unique soul. Your purpose has no number. And let's go back to Jesus. Remember, He's our example. He was so poor, and yet He lived a life of great joy and great sadness, of great love and great betrayal, of compassion and of heartache, of pain and sacrifice and violence. And yet he was able to do all those things, how? By trusting in God, his Father. He had a higher calling and a higher purpose that was distinct from finances or politics or religion. And we have the same calling on our lives And you are looked at by God, not by your bank account, not by the clothes you wear, not by your profession. You're looked at as a human soul with a unique and divine purpose. I don't know what it is. got to go talk to the Father. And Jesus did this without money, without security, without safety, without fill in the blank. But He had peace with God. He had contentment. He had purpose. And so when Jesus says we are to be anxious for nothing, we can trust Him. And we can go through life and its pains and its anxieties and its hardships, whether you are having stress of having too much or too little or not enough or not enough time or bad health or people against you or you for people, whatever, whatever is going on. Don't deposit into the bag of depression, anxiety, and pressure. Stop putting deposits in there. The finances is just a game. It's a fun game we all get to pay if you want it to be fun. And nobody's judging you here, at least, based on what your profession is. It's far more important what your personal relationship with God is like. In fact, when we understand this, and we know that Jesus is the way, and we know that He's looking at us like this, we're freer. We can have more joy. We can sit on our igloo lunchbox and we can look at the sun. And whether you own that house or you don't own that house, you can enjoy the simplicity of that moment, the gifts that God has given you. And we can understand what it means in Romans chapter 5 when it says that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, given. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps a good man would, man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's free, but it's not cheap. You can leave here content and filled with joy and you can let go of some of that pressure you put yourself under and you can get rid of that ruler of saying you're successful or you're not successful because it's all arbitrary and it's made up by us. And we can look at ourselves through the lens of Jesus who loved you when you were an enemy of his and he gave himself for you and he says, I no longer call you servants but friends. And we have peace with God that surpasses all understanding. We have contentment. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow and seek first His kingdom, His perception. Because remember, where He's putting things, they can't be stolen. Nobody's going through our cars in the, in the kingdom. Nobody's robbing us and stealing us and nothing deteriorates. We're putting it ahead where it's safer. Don't worry about tomorrow. Faithful are the words of today. Trust Him and know that your value is completely divorced from what the economy says your market value is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for teaching us what our purpose is and who we are in your eyes. We pray that we would serve you and not the world, that we wouldn't desire and seek after material things over and above doing the right thing and seeing people the way that you see them. We pray, Lord, that we would honor you. And most importantly, Lord, I pray for those that are struggling with this issue. And I pray that your love would fill them now, that they would sense your presence, that they would would be changed and grow in you. And they would leave here, Lord, altered, knowing that you are looking at us as precious stones, Lord, as beautiful people, sanctified by you. Help us to not see people by the value of the world, but to see them by the value of your Son. So, Lord, we lift these things to you and pray that you'd answer them according to your will and purposes. In Jesus' name, 